With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Hawkeye Nation podcast is happy to have Exile Brewing Company as our anchor sponsor based in Des Moines, Iowa, down at 1514 Walnut Street, established in 2012. The 2015 Great American Beer Festival gold medal winner, top 10 best selling new craft beer in the nation for 2015. And you have that in Des Moines, Iowa, available on tap and in bottles throughout the entire state. They brew five year round beers, 10 to 15 seasonal and limited release beers so check them out exile brewing company 1514 wallet street HN Podcast with Miller and Dace coming down the home stretch of this year's Big Ten basketball season. Just two regular season games left for each of the teams. Steve, we record this on Sunday, the 26th day of February. Again, 16 games in the books for every Big Ten team. Um, since this is the Hawkeye Nation podcast, whenever we have an opportunity to talk Iowa with related things, which we do most of the time, we'll start with that. And um, Iowa with a very impressive win against Maryland. Maryland was ranked 24th when Iowa beat them. They won't be ranked, um, you know, on Monday when the new rankings come out. I think they'd lost earlier last week as well. So they're in a little bit of a tailspin. But Iowa, 16 of 24 from three-point range in the game. Jordan Bohannon was 8 of 10 himself. Iowa hit eight threes in both the first half and the second half, and I'm, I'm willing to bet that's never happened before in school history since the three-point line um, came into uh, play back in the mid-1980s. Bohannon hit um, four in each half as well. Tyler Cook with 21 points and 10 rebounds. I mean, just it was, it was a very, very good win for Iowa, and I'll, we'll, we'll start with that point. I'm not sure what, um, how much of that game you caught, but I, I was pretty impressed because I, I thought they were going to get beat down by 10 or 15 points. I think the line was like 10 and a half. Maryland was favored before the game. Well, I mean, the situation certainly did not work in Iowa's favor with Maryland coming off a loss uh, at home uh, to Minnesota, and this was an opportunity for them to sort of reassert themselves and – uh, didn't happen, especially with uh, Minnesota knowing or Maryland knowing that Michigan had beaten Purdue earlier in the day, mm-hmm. and so their chance to get right back into the league race um, was right there in front of them. And I know I, I'm hearing people talk about, you know, the college basketball analysts on BTN. You know, Maryland's got all these young. It's Mellow Trimble and a bunch of young guys, and those young guys have hit the wall. Well, I mean, Iowa's got a younger basketball team than even Maryland does, so. I don't think that's an excuse either. I think maybe, you know, after a while, water finds its level. You know, we're, we're, we're seeing some teams in the league that got off to bad starts that are playing better now. And you're seeing other teams in the league that got off to scintillating starts that have sort of come back down to earth, and Maryland would be the latter. But still, that's a tough place to go in there and win in College Park. They have a lot of tradition there. And it was a really high-quality win for Iowa, and I think bodes well uh, for the future. No question about that. Yeah, you know, Tribble's going to be a senior next year if he comes back. i got to be honest, I've probably seen five or six other games this year. I think he should come back. I don't, I don't think he's going to get – well, I mean, I guess – I don't think I don't, he, I don't. think he's a pro player. No, I don't either. I say I don't well, think Let me rephrase that. I don't think he's an NBA player. Right. There's lots of places to play pros around the world and make good money. I don't think the kid's an NBA player. I agree. And um, I think that I, – I think he should come back. But, I mean, if he wants to, if he wants to, you know, if he wants to, you know, hang out in Turkey for a year rather than go to class next year, well, you know, that's that's his own personal choice. Well, I, I choose, I choose class. I choose class over Turkey. <laughs> yeah, they, I probably would too. But you know, yeah, some kids just you know want out, and not go to class anymore, that, and that's fine. I get it. I didn't want to go to class either. That's why I flunked out. But. I don't see the kid as an NBA player. Now, where I, where I, where I do think, what I do think, if he were to come back, I think they'd be a preseason top 10 or 15 team no next doubt. year. In fact, in fact, I think you start, you, you know, it's, I, I think you assume Bridges will leave is a one and done. 
Sparty has several guys that this year were hurt, but will be back next year. Uh, a couple other big-time recruits coming in, so I think they're likely uh, a preseason top-10 team. I, I think you see Minnesota. Although I think I think I could see some jobs come after Richard Pitino in the offseason uh, because the, 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 the coaching carousels, uh, depth is pretty weak in college basketball. Sports Illustrated a good feature about that earlier this week. Uh, but if if you know you don't lose a Richard Pertino with everybody else they have coming back, I think Minnesota's a top twenty-five team. Mm-hmm. I think Sparty's a top ten team. I think Maryland, if Trimble comes back, could be a top ten team preseason. Uh, I think Iowa uh, merits some mention as a top twenty-five team, but will certainly be an NCAA tournament team next year. So uh, I think the top of the league will be much better and deeper next year. I think Indiana's in flux. I think that, uh, you know, Illinois is in flux with what they do with John Gross, and they're playing better now. Uh, I think uh, I think you look at Michigan, it really comes down to uh, Xavier Simpson because I still think the front court they'll have next year will be as good as anybody in the league uh, with the Kentucky kid and, uh, and DJ Wilson and, and Mo Wagner, provided he returns. Uh, if he doesn't, then I think then, you know, I could see them take a major step back. Uh, I think um, Indiana's a wild card. Don't know what's going to happen there with Tom Crean and uh, if if all those juniors leave at the same time, then they're almost in the same bucket they were when Crean took over, and he had to start all over from scratch to build that program when he first got there too. So, am I missing anybody? Um, I think Ohio State's largely an unknown with Thad Mata. I think Northwestern will be an NCAA tournament type of team again next year. Uh, but uh, I think I think the top of the, the teams I would expect right now to be at the top of the league. And I think Wisconsin's an unknown. I mean, you're looking at losing all five starters if half goes pro. Um, so, yeah, that's a Are you hearing huge... that he may go pro? I, I think there was talk about this certainly a month ago when it looked like he was hands down Big Ten Player of the Year. And now it doesn't look like that. You know, I mean, now, I, I mean, I, to, to me, I think uh, Biggie Swanigan's your Big Ten Player of the Year. But a month ago, it looked like it might be him. He certainly has an NBA body. I don't think he'll go pro. But I think he'll. I think he might think about it. I mean, you look at who they have coming back next year. It's him. That's it. And that's it. And that's where you start wondering when there's nobody around me, and I'm going to have to carry this team for 40 minutes next year, and guys leaning on me and everything else. Am I better off going out and being a second round pick for somebody than coming back with a team that is going to be as right. Uh, as as much of a shell of itself as it looks like Wisconsin's going to be. And when everybody picks my film apart and I suck because I suddenly suck because there's, you know, I don't have Nigel Hayes and Bronson Canning around me anymore, you know? So um, I think, I think Michigan state, Iowa, Maryland, and um, oh, the other team I mentioned in there was uh, Michigan state, Iowa, Maryland. And there was one other team. Minnesota. Oh, um, Minnesota. I think that's the top of the league going into next season. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Um, you know, and with regards to Hap, I mean, their their skid that they've been on, their their struggles these last couple of weeks. I mean, you double team Hap in the post when he gets the ball. It's pretty much what teams have been doing. Well, you know, it's what what I've been watching. It's so funny because I've been watching. I watched a lot of Big Ten basketball when I went on my like three week fast where I couldn't handle watching what Michigan had become. It is like it's like Michigan and Wisconsin have switched bodies. All right, so I mean, Michigan a month and a half ago was 158th in Ken Palm's adjusted defensive rankings. They're now 92nd, and that's against the toughest part of their conference schedule, playing all these road games. They're moving the basketball. They're playing. They look like a John Beeline coach team. Wisconsin looks the way Michigan looked like in January. Guys standing around, way too much dribbling. Whoever gets the ball, throw a shot up at the top, you know, at the end of the shot clock. Uh, No toughness whatsoever. It is literally like those two teams have switched souls during the month of February. They're completely – Bronson Koenig is is, is, – I mean, he's got a calf injury. I get that. But Derek Walton looked like maybe the worst starting point guard not at Rutgers in the Big Ten. Now he might be first team all Big Ten. It it is like Michigan and Wisconsin just flipped the switch and just changed bodies. Northwestern still in, do you think? I do. Because I went through it today. We'll get to this in a little bit. This bubble's dreadful. I mean, it's just absolutely dreadful. I I mean, listen, we're sitting here two weeks out, and Lenardi's got Clemson 
who's 14 and 14 as we do this. One of his last four out. Okay. I mean, the, the bubble is dreck. Okay. Since we're Absolute gonna, dreck. Since we're going to talk about that a great deal on the back part of this podcast, let me then localize it a little bit more here. I don't know if you saw what I wrote on Sunday morning. Um, I did. I, the question I asked was, does Iowa have a shot at the NCAA tournament? And, you know, I, I don't go out and write things just so people click on them. I can deliver ads. And then you get there and it says, no, of course they don't. Their shot at the NCAA tournament is winning it all. I believe that Iowa still has an outside shot, mainly because the bubble is so weak of an at-large bid. But Iowa has zero margin for error. They must win at Wisconsin. They, they beat Maryland, and their RPI went from 111 to, like, 95. Okay, that's a 16-point jump. And if they beat Wisconsin on Thursday, they'll get another similar 14, 15-point jump. So now they're down to an 80 RPI. And if they beat Penn State, they'll be in the mid-70s. Then in the tournament, I think... I mean, I don't know. You're going to play somebody, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 seed or so in the first round unless you get the sixth seed. Um, and they got to win that one. And their RPI would move up a little bit, four or five points. So now you're in the mid, um, mid to high 60s. They're going to need to beat the one, two, or three seed in order to get an RPI that is in consideration range because I think you brought this up last week too. The lowest ever RPI rating to get an at-large bid was 67. And that was USC back in, I think, 2011, something like that. So I'm not saying it will happen. I'm not saying I think it will happen. I don't think Iowa's going to win four more games in a row. Uh, I don't know that they'll win on Thursday night in the Kohl Center. But in my opinion, and looking at the RPI projections, looking at the math, Iowa would also have, you know, five top 50 Ken Pomeroy wins at that point in time, three wins against teams that were ranked when they played them, uh, a really strong uh, finish down the stretch. I think that they would at least have a shot. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I mean, what you're basically talking about is that Iowa's got to, Iowa's got to roll an inside straight, yeah. you know, and um, and that's not the same as I got to roll a royal flush. So it's not like its odds are infinitesimal. They're just unlikely, yep. but I would say there's a dozen or more teams that we, I, I'd say that about Illinois right now, right. for example. I mean, I'd say that about a dozen teams that aren't even on the bubble. You know what I used to call in the spittle. Okay. Yes. You know that are, but, but I think th that spittle is more probable than it has been in the past. Somebody will do it. Like I could see a team like a Vanderbilt, for example, who has really come on at the end of the year. They've got nine scholarship players. They've got a game against Florida at home next Saturday. If they win that game and a couple of games in the SEC tournament, I, yeah, I mean, someone's got to fill these 68 slots, Matt. I mean, that's, that's the problem I have when people look at this and say, well, they're not an NSA tournament team. You can't look at a team as a standalone product and make that proclamation unless their record just sucks. But if their record is anywhere competitive, um, then you actually have to look at how they stack up in relationship to the other teams that are vying for those spots. You know, these aren't standalone entities. They're comparative analyses. You're, you're taking a look at team brand X versus brand Y. You're taking the Pepsi challenge. Remember those commercials when we were kids? So it's, it is, it is correct. Now, when we go through my bracketology that I do every year here in a few minutes, I, I do this every year, but two weeks before Selection Sunday. Why? Because I think guys like Joe Lenardi are the most overrated fake news experts in all of sports media. I mean, if you and I sat there and started doing brackets in August, updated it every week, and we're updating it to the last minute when all the games were done, including all the conference tournaments, we get 95% of the teams in too, John. And so would most people that are observant fans. This isn't, this isn't some kind of, you know, you're not Mel Kuyper Jr. This is, this, is, this is something most guys in high school could do if they watch the games. Oh, great. You know, hey, the Big Ten tournament ends at 4 o'clock Eastern or 5 o'clock Eastern and the brackets come on at 7. So I got two hours with all the games done to figure out who gets in. I bet you all kinds of people listening to this podcast right now would get 90% of the teams because you have all the information in front of you. It's fake. 
That's why I like to do it two weeks in advance before any of the conference tournaments games are played to truly get an idea of where things stand. In my view, the bubble is so weak that I think 31 of the 36 at-large bids are accounted for. Unless there's a meltdown in the conference tournaments. But even then, I don't think there's a lot of mid... Like Monmouth last year, there was a lot of controversy about that. I don't think there's going to be a lot of controversy if Valpo doesn't make it because they didn't even win their league outright. They they ended up sharing it today with with Oakland, for example. So there's not several mid-major teams sitting around. Uh, You know, a league I'd watch is the West Coast Conference. If Gonzaga loses that, if Gonzaga and St. Mary's both lose and BYU wins that league, then that takes a bit away. I don't think BYU's even in the spittle, right? Well, I would say BYU's in the spittle like Iowa. They got, they got one big win on Saturday beating Gonzaga, but that's really the only thing they've done all year. They got 20 wins, 19 never against nobodies. So if, 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 if they get hot and win their conference tournament, then that would take a bit away. But the, 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 the bracket, the bubble is so weak this year there's not, I mean, I mean, if you're an Iowa fan, you've spent plenty of time on the bubble the last 10 years, right? So you're accustomed to caring who wins the MEAC championship or the Colonial on a Wednesday night next week. Nobody cares. Like, if Bucknell loses, nobody's making that argument. The mid-majors this year, their profiles overall are so weak, so weak, that, that there's really not too many bubble-bursting co- mid-major conference tournaments out there this coming week, John. A lot of one and doneers. Basically, this bracketology um, racket or whatever. I mean, and I enjoy it, but there are 68 teams that get bids. 32 of the 68 are automatic. That means we're talking about 36 at-large bids that go out. And of those 36, I would wager in most years, um, almost anybody who follows the sport could get 28 out of the 36. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. So you're really only talking about six to eight teams out of the whole thing that you have to actually get right. And you probably will get half of those right just by luck. So yeah. if, if any, any misses... I mean, right now, Lenardi's got Indiana, who is 16 and 13, as one of his, as his next four out. That's how weak the bubble Gee, is. Gee, Christmas. Yeah, that's, that's pretty brutal. That is pretty brutal. No doubt about now, it. Now, you mentioned this, and this is why Northwestern, they were, I think, when I say 31 out of 36 teams are locked up, I mean, of those 31, now, I think Northwestern, in my bracketology, we'll get to here soon, they were one of the last five teams I put in. But I think that those te- the other 31 had to, would have to, like, melt down. I mean, just completely melt down. I mean, let's say Michigan doesn't win another game. I'll just go with them because I know them the most. Let's say they lose on the road. Next two games are on the road. They lose to Nebraska on the road, and they lose to um, uh, Northwestern on the road. And let's say they lose. The, let's say they lose the first round in the NCAA, in the Big Ten tournament. It is conceivable that even though they lost three in a row, they'd have no losses outside of the RPI top 100. So not a single bad loss. They'd have two non-conference wins, uh, better as, as good as anybody in the Big Ten, not named Indiana has. If you, if you look at Michigan beating Marquette and SMU, that's as good a two Big Ten non-conference wins as any Big Ten team has, other than Indiana beating North Carolina and Kansas early in the year. Uh, and then they'd have five. They still have five wins against the RPI top 50. That profile, even if they lost the next three games, you would not find seven or eight other teams sitting waiting in line that could do better than that. Most years you could. Most years you would not say a team that could finish 19 and 13 would, wouldn't have to sweat it out on Selection Sunday. This year, that's true. That's how weak the bubble is this year. All right, let's jump into it. Um, the automatic bids that you have, I, I don't want to go through all those mid-majors, um, but ACC, you have North Carolina winning the tournament, Kansas winning the Big 12, Villanova winning the Big East, Maryland Winning the Big Ten. That- now, just to show, I don't, I don't sit here and pick chalk. I, I, on average, there's two to three bracket busters in the mid-majors every year. Okay, so every year there's two or three of these mid-major leagues where I don't pick the number one seed to win because on average, they don't. Now, I, sometimes I get those right, sometimes I don't. It's kind of pin the tail on the donkey. And most of the major conferences, I don't, you know, like – it. it 
to me, it doesn't change anything if West Virginia wins the Big 12 or Iowa State or Kansas does. Maryland, I, I just threw them. I'm literally throwing darts because I think seven, or, I, I think nine teams, Iowa included, can win the Big Ten tournament in a couple weeks. I really do. I'll throw, I just went with Maryland as a freaking shot in the dark because they're playing like crap now and, and they basically get to play home games in the Big Ten tournament. But I think nine teams could, could win the Big Ten tournament, and I think all nine of those teams could lose their very first game. I, I, I've got no idea how you would pick a Big Ten tournament. Well, no, I, I agree. You're, you're right. You're right. It's tough. There's no chalk really in the Big Ten this year. Um, this is interesting. I looked this up on uh, on Friday. When you look at the Big Ten championship, uh, the Big Ten tournament history, Michigan, the first year in 1998, they won it as a four seed. Of course, that title has since been vacated. Um, and then Iowa won it in 2001 as a six seed, which is the lowest seed ever to win it. Other than those two years. So now we're talking about this will be the 20th year for the Big Ten, the Big Ten tournament. 19 years it's been played. 17 of those 19 years, either the one, two, or three seed has won it. It's been a pretty chalky event um, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, and certainly it's been a, a one, two, or three seed since 2002, which Ohio State vacated uh, that championship as well. So at any rate. On we go, continuing on down your list. Um, mentioned the Big Ten. Let's see, you have Wichita State in the Valley. Uh, I think them or Illinois State are the two to go with. Uh, UNI is a three seed. UNI has never won it as a three seed. I think I saw Gary Rima post that. Oregon in the Pac-12. Uh, upset there over what most people would probably go with UCLA, SEC taking Kentucky. Any other mid mate? Well, and then the uh, West Coast Conference, Gonzaga. Any other ones you want to mention? No, I mean I've got a couple of uh, upsets here, but uh, there's none of these are leagues that I think would cost somebody else a bid. I, I think at this point, the only league if there's a bust that I could say right now would cost somebody a bit. Let's look at like if Northern Iowa in the Missouri Valley, I just think Illinois State gets screwed. Okay? Right. Um, but the only league I think that if you are one of those bubble or spittle teams, you want you need Gonzaga or St. Mary's to win the West Coast Conference. You don't want BYU winning that league. I, I think that's the only league where I could say right now for sure, if the team goes down, they're going to get that's going to take a, an at-large berth away from somebody else. Yeah, Illinois State's 45th in Pomeroy's rankings. Uh, Wichita State is 10th. Moving on to your at-large, uh, this would be the conferences that w- you are projecting to get uh, at-large bids in addition to the automatic bids. The American Conference, um, the, you had um, SMU getting the tournament. You have Cincinnati getting that large bid. Atlantic 10, Dayton, which is a bubble team. Um, right about now. ACC, you have eight at-large bids. Florida State, Louisville, Notre Dame, Duke, Miami, Syracuse, Virginia Tech, and Virginia, who early this year, Virginia looked like a house, but they have uh, been struggling as of late. Yeah, what's happened is they've just hit a bit, they've hit the tough part of their schedule, and you know, they, they can't throw it in the ocean right now. So, I mean, you can, they, they, they still have they still, I think, I think they're either number one or number two in Ken Palm's adjusted defense. But offensively, if you're struggling, if you're averaging about 50 points a game, well, then you're going to make it so that you know teams can hang around with you and steal a game late, like Miami did to Virginia at home or on the road against Virginia last week. But they just got a, they just got a win yesterday. They still, I, I still think in a tournament setting. Uh, particularly when you don't I mean, when I right. say tournament, I don't mean conference, but NCA. Right. That you, if you have to play them on the second day with one day to prepare for that defensive style, that's tough. I think. Yeah, that's a good point. The pack line is not um, not necessarily widespread at this juncture. Uh, moving on to the Big Twelve, you have six at-large teams. Uh, West Virginia, Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, and TCU on top of the uh, on top of KU's winning it uh, automatically. I haven't gone in and dove uh, dove into TCU all that much. You know, 
it seems like most of the talking heads believe the Big 12 is the best. I certainly don't know enough to uh, to change that. Let me go back here. Did you have Texas Tech in this? You did not have no. Texas Tech. Texas Tech is uh, 35th in Pomeroy's rankings. 35th at yeah, 5 and 11. Yeah, there are guys like 102. What's that? Their RPI is like 102, I believe, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's trouble. That's trouble. Okay. I mean, TCU's, TCU's profile is not great, but, they, but their strength of schedule overall is in the top 20. And, you know, one thing I've never understood about this. It kind of reminds me I of Patrick Ewing saying that they spend a lot of money because they make a lot of money. Well, yeah, but, I mean, that's how weak the bubble is. I think this is – I've never understood how much arguing goes in about a bunch of teams that likely aren't going to win the thing anyway. You know what I'm saying? Right. But, I mean, if you want to do your own bracket and just have the, a completely different last five or six teams in than me – I could go along with probably like if you thought Houston should belong in here, for example. But okay, I mean, I just you right. know what I'm saying. I mean, that's how fluid the bottom of this of this bracket's going to be. Mm. Yeah, fluid is a great word to use there, and that's also a nice word to use in general. It's tough to pin you down on that one. Um, Big East five <laughs> five at large teams: Butler, Creighton, Marquette, Seton Hall, and Xavier. On top of Villanova getting in. In the- Xavier's in a free fall. I might. I think their profile's too strong to not get in now, but I think you're watching. Their seed has plummeted in the last month. They're in a free fall. Yeah, their coach may uh, not be as pretty uh, as attractive as he was the last few weeks with these job openings. Um, Big Ten, you have six at-large teams in addition to the automatic Purdue, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, Northwestern, and Michigan State. Minnesota, as much as it pains me to say it, and I, you know, I, I gave Richard Pitino as, as much crap as anybody else. I thought he was very short for for this time there, and they were a dreadful team a year ago when they were so young and just took some lumps. He's done a really good job, and defensively, um, that team is they are just long. They are athletic, and that's a good word for it. You know, they kind of remind me of a poor man's version of the Fly and the Lion Eye, wow. uh, in a way. Just just a lot of tweener guys. Not as strong ball. in the backcourt, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, but I'm just just a lot of guys that are between six three and six eight, and long arms, and they a lot of deflections, athletic. And keep in mind, you know, they they're they're ten and four, or are they? Is that what they are in the league, or ten and six in the league? Ten and six. And ten and six, and the three losses, those three home losses early on, Wisconsin, Maryland, and Sparty all went down to the absolute wire, buzzer beater losses that they had, you know, so, you know, you're going to have a few of those, you know, they got a buzzer beater win against Iowa when they beat them in overtime a couple of weeks back. So some of those things even out, but if they win just two of those things, they're in the thick of the league race right now. Yeah. Seven, um, seven consecutive wins for the Gophers after five consecutive losses. Once they got ranked, I was looking up this stat from the game yesterday. Lynch is a house. Dude had 11 blocks, 11 blocks against Penn State. I got to pull up his stats for the year just to see how many blocks this guy's. He's averaging 8.2 points per game. This is a transfer, I think, from uh, Illinois State, by the way, too. Um, And he's a junior. 8.2 points per game, 6.3 rebounds per game, and he's got 95 blocks on the season. That is incredible. Fun player to watch. That that to me, without looking at any seeds right now, so it's difficult to know the path. I would say I, I would take Minnesota to win the Big Ten tournament. Um, but again, we got to see the path. Missouri Valley, you've got Illinois State um, in after Wichita State gets the automatic. I think I think Illinois State is certainly worthy this year. Pac-12, four at larges: Arizona, UCLA, California, and USC on top of Oregon. How, how long are Washington fans going to be content with the type of talent that they are getting into that program and just a pretty pathetic brand of basketball on the floor? About another two and a half weeks. <laughs> SEC, four at-large teams. Florida, South Carolina, Arkansas, and Vanderbilt on top of Kentucky's automatic bid and Vanderbilt right now is a team that is Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt should be out of there, by the way. That's my mistake. I made a mistake with that. Okay. Vanderbilt should be out. Move them yeah. out. Um, WCC St. Mary's as an at-large. 
All right, moving in. Uh, you're, you say that your last five in, in alphabetical order, Illinois State, Kansas State, Northwestern, Seton Hall, and Syracuse. Exile Brewing Company has a couple of beers that they want you to know about. One, the Ruthie, the flagship beer available year-round, a golden lager, light, medium-bodied beer, incredibly smooth finish, their most popular beer that Exile Brewing Company makes. Let me give you a few adjectives they give. A subtle biscuit and caramel undertone, but very well-balanced. Brew with premium German malt and hops, available year-round. And some seasonal beers, the one they're featuring right Right now, the Sir Mokalot Stout. Again, some adjectives from Exile. Jet black in color, medium body, brewed with local cocoa from Stam, coffee malt, and chocolate malt. Robust coffee aroma, smells like a fresh pot of dark roast coffee. Rich dark chocolate finish from local cocoa. That is available through February, available on tap and in bottles throughout the entire state of Iowa. Do you want to run through the whole bracket here? What do you want to do? Yeah, let's do it. You right. can tell me what you think. I mean, we can see where I, what the, who are the 68 teams yeah. I put in and, and why I put them there. And I tried to come up with a rhyme or reason. There's rules. You can't have uh, two teams in the same league that have top five seeds in, this, in the same region can't meet until the Elite Eight. Otherwise, you have two teams in the same conference can't meet until they're in the Sweet 16. You have the, uh, you know, the, the, seed, the pod process where they try to get guys that are or the, the top teams try to try to give them favorable treatment with their locations, but they can't play in their own home arenas. Uh, so you factor all those things in. And when you got two leagues in the Big Ten and the ACC getting so many more at-large berths than everybody else, that means there's going to be some stacking in order to try to even out the, uh, the rest of the bracket when those two teams are overrepresented. Or leagues, I should say. Right. Um, East bracket, number one seed, Buffalo, or U, U, Villanova against uh, Florida Gulf Coast. Eight seed, VCU against Michigan State as a nine seed. Yeah, that's that's one that that's one that Villanova probably wouldn't like to see come up. If I'm Villanova, I don't want to have to – I don't want to see Tom Izzo in the second round. No. 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 I don't. No, no. I'll tell you what – because I'll tell you this. The last week, Cassius Winston has finally started to play – like a high school All-American point guard. The game that he had today against Wisconsin, I mean, he athletically was so superior to Wisconsin's backcourt. He lit them up. That has been, the, along with the injuries, that's been the other – we've seen Izzo overcome injuries. We've seen Izzo overcome everything. The, but the, where this team has lacked is cohesion. And, and the reason they lack cohesion is because – the one guy who's a great leader at point guard, and he's very quick, but offensively he's a liability. He has really no skill at all. And the other guy, Winston, is the highly recruited guy that has all the skill. He just hasn't been able to run a team. But if, if what we saw today against Wisconsin, if, if the light has come on for him, I could see them winning the Big Ten tournament. And I certainly would not want to be a top seed playing that team in the second day. Indeed, Florida as the four against Vermont, the 13, and Duke as a five against Monmouth, a 12. A Florida-Duke matchup would be uh, very fun in the next round. Moving on down in the east bracket, number three seed West Virginia against number 14 Bucknell, and number six Virginia against a play-in game Seton Hall slash Northwestern. Little West Virginia, Virginia, I like that. Um, Salt Lake City. Uh, Talk about a contrast of styles that they played in the ra- second round. Yeah, indeed. Where Virginia wants to forget there's a shot clock and West Virginia's press Virginia, that would be fascinating. It would be, no doubt about it. Um, number two seed in the East, Arizona against Norfolk State. And then Minnesota against St. Mary's in a 7-10 matchup. That would be absolutely must-see TV late night on opening uh, the opening round. That would be a fantastic And if I'm matchup. Arizona, I am rooting for St. Mary's to win that game. Oh, there's no question. There's no doubt about that. Down to the south bracket, number one seed, North Carolina. Um, going up against somebody they'll beat. Never has been a 16 seed, beat a number one seed. Winthrop, Mount St. Mary's would be the 16 you have there. And eight, Arkansas, nine, USC, um, four, SMU, 13, Oakland, and then five, Wisconsin, and 12, Syracuse. That seems, 
it seems like Wisconsin's getting a little little extra value, but I'm, I'm not saying that you're not uh, not doing what other people are doing as well. We'll see. Well, well, they got it. Here's here's where this came in. Wisconsin, I, they got overseeded because I needed to balance my bracket, right? I can't. I've got all these Big Ten ACC teams. They can't play each other in the first pot. So that means somebody, some teams are going to have to get overseeded. Some teams are going to have to get underseeded in order to balance out the bracket. Wisconsin is overseeded as a five in this in, in, in this survey, but they but when I say overseeded, they're probably a six. It's probably by one. What do you but think? To, to, what's that? What do you think of rules like that? That you the the not playing conferences until a certain point in time doesn't that undermine the purity of the tournament? I mean, you either are a seed or you, you aren't. It does. Sure, it does. Sure, it does. And I don't think it's as relevant as it used to be. I mean, I, I thought it was a good idea for many years, but now with all these preseason tournaments and stuff we have, so much, you're playing so many of these not teams in other conferences every year now in any way that it's a little bit like interleague play. You know what I mean? It's just not, it's not as big of a deal to watch the national, like we talked about before, to watch National League and American League All-Stars play each other because we see it all the time now. So now that we have all these in-season tournaments – early on it's not just three now it used to be when we were kids right alaska maui nit and then after that you had like a hawaii tournament like the rainbow classic but those are really your only chances to see a lot of these teams play each other except for every team would have one or two big non-conference games but now i mean with all these tournaments we've got now all these shootouts and this shootout and this island jamboree and everything else i think i agree with you i think you ought to just you ought to just S-curve the best 68 teams, regardless of where they're from, to have the most balanced bracket. I agree with you, but that's not the rule. So because of that, to compensate for Wisconsin getting up to the five line, I gave them a tough draw. They've got to play Syracuse in essentially a home game in Buffalo. And to compensate for Syracuse not, having, not forcing Syracuse to play a play-in game, I made them play a tough 5-12 matchup instead. So that's where I tried to balance provide some balance when I had to over and under seed teams in order to make the bracket work out. Man, I'm glad you did this. There's way too many considerations to take into account. Um, three seed Kentucky versus 14 Princeton and six Notre Dame against play in Illinois State, Kansas State. You think Illinois State is down to a play in level, huh? I do. I do. Yeah, hmm. I, I think that's I, and I think if, if it weren't for their record, there's really not much else there. They got a nice record. The Missouri Valley's not good. Um, you know, Wichita State was an unmitigated face-palming disaster in the non-conference. And, and they, are, they are just naming the score against everybody in that league. You know, so I think Illinois State is, because of their profile, I, or I'm sorry, because of their overall record, I think they will probably get in somewhere uh, when their overall profile is really not that strong. Two-seeded UCLA against Eastern Tennessee State is a 15, and then number seven-seeded Oklahoma State against number 10 Marquette. Moving to the Midwest bracket, number one-seed Kansas against New Orleans or Texas Southern, and then eight-seeded Dayton against nine-seeded Virginia Tech. Clearly, I wouldn't say clearly, do you have Kansas as your number one overall seed? Yes. Because that's, that's the most favorable second-round match for sure. Yes. Um, Purdue is a four, Belmont is a 13, Cincinnati five, Akron 12. Also feel that that's not a bad little pod for Purdue. Um, no, what I had to do is you've got Indianapolis there. The problem is Louisville and Kentucky have got seated ahead of Purdue, so they get pod prep, they get pod uh -huh. preference. So I, sent, so I gave Purdue Milwaukee uh, instead to compensate for that. Just, just seeing that reminded me that uh, Tulsa actually is hosting something. I might have to uh, try and find some free tickets to go to that one. Um, Milwaukee, uh, next up, this is still the Midwest bracket. Number three, Butler against 14, Ch uh, Charleston. Number six, seeded Iowa State against number 11, seeded Middle Tennessee. I'm telling you, Iowa State is the kind of team that ends up – they have the makeup of the sort of team that goes on dark horse runs in, in this tournament. In that um, senior-laden team, all you know, all-star level uh, point guard. In this mm -hmm. case, an all-American level point guard. Now, I don't believe this is a favorable draw, okay? But 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 if they but in a more fa and the reason I don't is because I think Butler plays a lot of the same way Iowa State likes to play, but with more discipline. 
Uh, I think Middle Tennessee, as we saw last year with Michigan State, would be a tough first-round draw unto itself. But if, if before we get to the actual pairings, if you're looking for teams, because to me, you know, if you're a top four seed, you're not a dark horse. So to me, a dark horse is a five to eight seed, and a Cinderella is anybody, or maybe I'd say five to a nine, and a Cinderella is anybody that's a nine that's below a nine. So if you're looking at a dark horse that could make a run, Iowa State has the makeup of that kind of team. With, with Naz Long's ability now, though he's greatly improved as the season has gone on, his ability to attack the basket. You know my rule of three, John. We talked about this for years on here, right? I look for teams who have three guys on the floor that can get their own offense. Well, with Naz Long's ability to attack the basket, which he didn't have in, in, you know, early in the year when Iowa, when, it, when Iowa just completely just you know, poleaxed Iowa State at Carver Hawkeye. Well, now with Naz Long's ability to break you down off the dribble and not just wait to get an, a 20-foot jump shot, they now can put three guys on the floor. They can get their own offense whenever they want. And when you're talking about a guy, um, I mean, I saw some crazy stat. 43 games in his career, Monte Morris has not turned the ball over for in a game. That's incredible. 39, 39 times he's had one turnover. That's insanity. I mean, yeah. that's just absolute insanity. So that, that means he's going to control tempo against you as well. They're a team. I think there's several Big Ten teams. Because, because the Big Ten is stronger in the middle than it is at the top, there, uh, there are several Big Ten teams and a team like Iowa State that if I'm a two or a three seed, I don't want to be in the same pod with them. Monte Morris for his career, 720 assists which I think the Iowa record is like 611 or somewhere in there. 720 assists to 200 and um, no 720 assists to 151 turnovers. That's that's crazy. That's <laughs> I just I mean that's vi- those are video game like numbers is what that Yeah, means. he's got 1589 points. I mean that's that's a heck of a career. And um, unfortunately there's a lot of teams wishing that they could uh, they could have Monte Morris. Iowa would have certainly done well to take Roy Marble's cousin, but they did not. They went a different direction. Going on, number two seed Louisville, 15 seeded North Dakota, and then seven seeded Wichita State and 10th seeded Cal. West bracket, number one seed Oregon against UC Davis. Eight I've got Oregon there because I think they're going to they're end up at least sharing the Pac-12 title in the regular season and then winning the conference tournament. Creighton as an eight, TCU as a nine, not a bad setup for Oregon there. Uh, four How about Dana Altman versus his old team? I didn't intend for that to happen, but when I laid this out, I was like, well, that actually would be Dana Altman against his old team. Number four, Florida State, 13, New Mexico State. Uh, then number five, Maryland against 12, Nevada. Number three, Baylor, 14, Eastern Washington. And then six, South Carolina and 11, Xavier. Not a bad setup for Baylor there. Um, and then lastly, number two seeded Gonzaga against 15 seeded Texas Arlington and seventh seeded Michigan against 10th seeded Miami. Dude, we'll, we'll be doing this for real in two weeks. That's insane to think about. It is. It is insane to think about. It has been. It's been a really good regular season. I mean, really good. Yep. And uh, I've seen a lot of exciting games. Um I think I said on the podcast last week, I, I, I think the, the three best, most exciting, best-played Big Ten games I've seen this year were all games played at Minnesota's barn. Um, the Iowa game, the Maryland game, and the Wisconsin game. And that's not even counting, you know, I watched my favorite team put a 30-footer in and his force overtime and lose to them just about a week and a half ago. So, I mean, Minnesota plays really exciting games. Uh, and... Uh, they're, you know, uh, Northwestern, their meltdown yesterday. They have a five-point lead with 40 seconds left, and you lose. You can't lose that game, okay? You just – you cannot lose that game, and they did. And I am I, I know we brought them up, up earlier. Remember I said a couple months ago on the podcast. Yes. One thing, the one thing about them I was worried about is when we got down to the end and all the pressure on them because so many people in the media are Northwestern grads – that they just, they can't get beyond it, you know? And um, far be it for me to tell Chris Collins how to coach. Because if he gets Northwestern to the, big t- to the NCAA tournament, he's gonna be Big Ten Coach of the Year. 
And if he doesn't, to me, then I think Patino needs to be. I mean, you go from where they yep, were last year to where they are this year. But I disagree with him on when he, I heard he was asked after the uh, after the game they had midweek this week. You know, are you focused on the tournament? Are you guys talking about? It? No, we don't talk about it at all. We take it one game at a time. To me, I think I get the cliches. I understand that. But you're dealing with a historic level of futility. I think you're better off just addressing it up front and letting the air out of it rather than pretending as if, you know, we're just focused on on one game at a time. Because it's pretty clear, based on the way his team's played over the last month, they're having a hard time focusing on one game at a time. Their one win here in the last couple of weeks was a game against freaking Rutgers at home they should have lost. So, well, Scott, Scotty Lindsay, he's back now, and maybe you know he can get back into some form. But their last two games, I mean, Northwestern right now has lost one, two, three, four, five, five of their last seven. Their last two games are both at home, but they're against Michigan, who's playing as good as anybody in the league right now, and then home against Purdue to end the season. And Purdue could have a regular season Big Ten championship on the line. It's not a stretch to think they're going to lose both of those. No, it's not. At all. You know, now, I, I mean, I'm, I would, I would, I'm not rooting against Michigan because, you know, they're my team, obviously. But if we lose that game, because I think we're in no matter what happens now because the bubble's so weak. We lose that game. I, I, you know, Northwestern's sort of my adopted team this year because I, I just – a fan base that's over for forever has suffered enough, right? But, man, you don't want to have to play Purdue. Biggie Swanigan and maybe his last ever Big Ten game, and they've got a Big Ten championship on the line. You don't want to have to have that be the game that you think you got to win to get, to get that 10th Big Ten win and, and, win that, win that, uh, and, and win that NCAA tournament bid. You want to get that done midweek, catch a Michigan team coming off a huge high, after the, after the way they beat Purdue on Saturday, who thinks they've already clinched their bid. That's the one, if you're Northwestern, that is the one you want to get. You don't want the pressure. Can you imagine the whole week long if they lose to Michigan, John, and all the sportscasters around the country, the Northwestern grads, the amount of pressure on that team against Purdue in that final game, wow. You remember, I can't remember how many years ago it was, and it was probably more than one year because the Detroit Lions sucked. Um, you were rooting for them. If you're going to suck, you might as well go over the whole season. 2008 Lions win 0-16. Yes. Yep. And you were you were you did not want to see them win. It's how I am with Northwestern. I I kind of like this <laughs> them never having made the tournament. I I want them to miss it. I want them to. But you lo- know what? Here's the thing. If they sucked this whole time, I'd be with you. You know, Bill Carmody had what was it three or four 20 win seasons NIT teams. And was always like one or two wins away from the NCAA. Yeah, that's Evan Eschemeyer teams. Yeah. I mean, if they were always – if they were they were just awful every year. One player do, away. Own it, yeah. But when you have been as tantalizingly close as they have been several times in the last decade or so, that's when I start feeling for you a little bit. Yeah, I You don't. know what I'm saying? I don't. Not at all. I want to see him lose. Look at me. I, we're, we've reversed roles in our old age. I'm the softy. <laughs> you, know, you know why I want to see him lose? All those, all those media guys you mentioned, all those guys that I follow because every tenth tweet it might be something interesting and germane to what I do, or might spur an idea to write something. And the other ninety percent of their garbage I have to put up with is their um, political ranting and ravings that I really don't give a damn about. So I hope Northwestern loses and loses badly. That's fine. I know I freaking hate media guys that use their Twitter accounts for their political rantings. Hate those guys. <laughs> Talk sports. Uh, <laughs> Talk hey, sports days. Uh, speaking of that, man, I'll let you get back to the Oscars. I know you put it on pause and can't wait to return to that show. Oh so. no, I'm on my perennial fast of all award shows. I last watched an award show. True story. My last award show, John. 1990. I used to watch the Oscars every year because you know I'm a big movie buff. Last award show I watched of, of any type, Grammys, anything. 1992 Oscars were my tap out, bro. I mean, I mean Richard Gere after his 14-minute diatribe soliloquy on the Dalai Lama. That's when I tapped out, and I haven't been back since to any award shows since 1992, unless you count the Heisman Trophy ceremony. I watched that. No, they have not. Um, they haven't politicized that one yet. So, 
but yeah, I, I'm with. I mean, I've I've probably watched bits and pieces of them since then, uh, but no. I, and by the way, I'm not. I don't have a problem if you. It's a free country. You want to politicize your event, go for it. It's just I work full time in politics. I can't get away from it. You know, so I don't want the places where I go to get away from it. To, to bombard me with it because I go there to get away from it. You know what I'm saying? So right. that's why I don't watch. I mean, if people want to watch, I mean, they want to sit there and just, they want to dump on Trump for three hours and there's 40 million people want to watch that. I don't care. You know, God bless them. But I get that the rest of the week. So I won't be watching. Right. And speaking of that, if you don't like uh, Dace's politics, you can just, um, you can just, you know, change your station right now. And thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Um, <laughs> Since you're a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, you're starting up a new new endeavor tomorrow. So if you're still listening and you don't like Dace's politics, this is on you. Um, what's going on? What's up with you? What are you doing tomorrow? And then tomorrow being the first day of a new venture, um, and that day is the 27th day of February. Well, I've uh, my content, Conservative Review has actually owned my content for the last year and a half. So they, they actually contracted out to allow me to do a radio show with Salem Network, which is one of the bigger radio networks in the country for the last 15 months. But when they watch Salem grow our show from 11 affiliates to over 70 in just over a year, the guys at Conservative Review are like, well, why are we, why are we sharing you with somebody else when you just keep all the money ourselves? So they have their own online network, CRTV, which is, you know, we used to joke about podcasting in our basement, but that's where this is all going now. You know, I mean, Nobody wants to buy DirecTV anymore. They want to buy the NFL Network app or the HBO app, or the, and that's where we're at now. You know, and so uh, a year, about a year and a half ago, they started their own network online with Mark Levin and several big names in conservative media. They were looking for another daily show, so they took our show away from Salem and spent n- n- uh, mucho dinero uh, to build us a TV studio here in Des Moines. And our show debuts tomorrow, uh, actually. So I'm looking forward to This is the life now, man. I, I go in in the mid-mornings. You know, remember we used to talk about Dan Patrick's got the best get-up. Going to, you, don't have to, you don't have to go in too early. You have, all your buddies are there. You just roll in. I got that now. And it's cool because the guy that actually runs CRTV, Chris Crane, actually created the Dan Patrick and Rich Eisen shows, created those shows. Wow. And so he's the guy who runs CRTV. So I got it set up now. I go in at 10 o'clock in the morning. I got my own, I got my buddies, my crew there. We get everything lined up. We tape for a couple of hours. They take an hour of post-production. They post it online. I go to the gym. I'm done, bro. It's the life. That's not bad. That's not that's bad. Like three, three hours, live, show clocks. Nah, that's for the, I'm, I'm to do that stuff. You know, I used to joke about this when I was, I used to joke about this to Randy Peterson when I was at the register years ago. That you guys covering the Hawkeyes do less work than I did covering the Buccaneers. It seems like the, and it's true. Like, when I covered the Des Moines Buccaneer minor league hockey team, I had to keep my own stats, everything. When you cover the Hawkeyes, man, it's hands you everything. Including well, parking it, tickets. Yes. <laughs> yes, that you don't pay. But who's, yeah, not, I don't know that person. I'm not admitting to anything. But um, the more, the higher you go in this media, this media, you know, uh, how, you know, uh, paradigm, the less work you have to do. I'm doing less work now than I did when I did that three-hour KXNO show by myself all those years. I'm doing less work now. Well, that's not bad. Good luck to you. I'm glad it'll be a uh, a better a better family fit hours wise. So. That will be fun. All right. We will bid you farewell on that note. For Steve, I am John, and we'll talk to you next week, hopefully about a 2-0 Iowa basketball week that keeps hope alive.